0: Hey everybody, this is Brian coming at you for my origin stories about some of my hobbies answering Josh's solo episode. Here we go. We're going to put the intro right about here. And yes, as Josh said, here comes the rhythm and roll, as he puts it. It's going to be called that from now on. Welcome to the podcast for Curiosity Continuum. Curiosity Continuum is an industry innovating, non-traditional company passionate about growing wisdom in the next generation. We're the essential bridge between the analog and digital worlds by building collaborative communities that unleash the power of adaptive expertise and innovation needed to thrive in the 21st century. We combine and mix essential elements needed to empower people to succeed in new ways Not possible outside of a creative, creative, thoughtful, diverse community of fellow curious people. Follow us on your favorite podcast app to receive notifications of new content. If you like what you hear and want to dive deeper, come find us at curiositycontinuum.com. And I'm going to start the conversation with myself. I loved hearing some of Josh's story as we kind of trade these back and forth. It allows a little bit more depth of understanding as we kind of are adults now. Well, we are adults now. Looking back through the lens through our childhood, kind of cool. You get to hear and see different things about your friend who you've known for such a long time, and you get different perspective because the person you were isn't the person you are right now, and as time kind of progresses. So Josh honed in a little bit on some of his hobbies, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time, and I almost hesitated to call it a hobby because it's something that I've done in my life. It's part of who I am, and it's kind of a hobby. I just want to talk about music for a little bit. So just to kind of set this up, a lot of times when you have musical talent, your parents had talent or your siblings did or someone in your family did. But being adopted, I had no like blood genetic lineage things going on to be able to give me any kind of, uh, you know, kind of step up on that. My parents were tone deaf. My adoptive parents were, you know, God love them. (laughs) They They were not musicians. They were always encouraging to their very musical son. My mom relays a story that when I was a little guy, when they first got me, I would just sit in front of the record player, just completely still for like 30 minutes when I was like about a year old. And after it was done, I'd get up and I'd walk away. So music was in me from a very early age. And I would sing, I would do things. I took just a very short little bit of piano lessons when I was young, which kind of helped set up some of my, this is how I read notes, this is how I can understand dynamics, and just a little bit around the piano. Now, honestly, I hadn't taken lessons for terribly long, and I expected my really awesome piece, which was very beginner, just to be very honest, that everybody would just clap. And they did out of uh, politeness. But I was like, oh, maybe I'm not as good at that. And I just kind of said, well, maybe not. Over the course of my life, I would sing. I did some musicals. I was also very shy. Music, to me, was a way to kind of explore a different world. You know, later on in my life, I became a bass player, which has been the instrument of choice for me for many years, uh, approaching, wow, approaching 30 years of time. So there you go. There's a few, few, many thousands of hours, thousands of hours into that pursuit. But I want to get up to that. You know, it wasn't anything where somebody always said, hey, look, here's bass. But I remember the story. Uh, well, I remember the story. <laughs> I remember the song as I'm telling the story. It's been a long day today, folks, and I'm just kind of unwinding right now. John Mellencamp covered the Van Morrison song, Wild Night. And appearing on that track was a lady named Michelle Micheline Ocello, and she played bass, and she sang. That particular song at that time hit me just right. And I, when I went back and actually listened to some of the cassettes that I used to listen to years ago, before I actually knew I liked bass, I really liked songs with bass. I just didn't know it. I didn't have any musical reference to be able to get me into that frame. I started to listen to bass, and I really enjoyed it. And at that point, I was still a choir guy. Josh was in the uh, bass section. I was in the first tenor section. And I actually approached the high school band leader. His name was Doug Miller. And Doug Miller you know, taught all the band folks, and I had friends in band, and they said, you should just go ask Mr. Miller if you can take lessons, and so I did. I went, and I said, hey, uh, I am a choir student, but would you please teach me bass, and he said, I generally don't do that because I reserve that for band students. However, I could see that you really want to learn, and I'd be happy to teach you what I know. I said, great. So, my very first start, which was I think maybe like a month and a half, couple months, he got me started on the Melbay Book of Bass. It was electric bass. I can still picture it somewhere over yonder <laughs> in all my storage of old study materials and things. But he got me started and I had new bupkiss about the bass. I just knew that it sounded cool. And I'm like, boy, okay, I'm gonna go and practice this stuff. And, you know, that book was actually very important to me. I know there's different musicians and there's different books depending on the method you learn. Uh, Stick Control is actually a book if you're a drummer. Page five of Stick Control, I understand you spend many, many days of your life. (laughs) Page five of Stick Control. Anyway, for me, this was now an instrument that you didn't have to tell me to practice. This is something that I found the time to pour into. What could have easily been, I've spent 20 minutes and I'm done. I found seven myself seven hours a day, a day, finding ways to fit time in to play. When I was in high school, I always did very well academically, and I would bring my homework to the next class and finish it. That meant I could go home and play for a couple hours before I ate dinner, then went back downstairs and played some more. And it was something that I didn't know I loved as much as I loved it until almost I looked back and go, wow, that was a long time. Now, I didn't do that all the way through high school. I had other things I did. But that really grabbed me in such a way that my musical talents and abilities now started to find a focal point. And so I started to play bass. I actually got the exception as well to play in the jazz band. I auditioned for the jazz band, but in the pep band. So when a lot of kids, they go like to the football games and they're like with their friends and hanging out and stuff, watching the game, having a good time, I was playing bass and the pep band and i enjoyed it in fact i was more interested in hanging out with my friends than i was actually like paying attention to the game usually the pep band would pack up about quarter three and you know my mom and dad would ask who won the game i'm like i don't know actually <laughs> i was in the band room packing up stuff and just chilling with my friends generally we would go to perkins uh if you know what perkins is it's a northern restaurant they find like one in florida or something like that and it's like a you know like american diner type of restaurant And uh, my friend Will would always get the uh, chicken tenders and fries with honey mustard and macaroni and cheese and french fries is what he always got. And Sprite. (laughs) And we don't really eat those meals much anymore because we would not probably be on the earth anymore. Regardless, many hours at Perkins, many hours in the band room. So what happened over time for me was that I developed it. I played in a band. Uh, The name of the band was called Still... Tin, S-T-I-L-L. Many times it was called Steel Tin, but it was still Tin. And we played a small circuit in Minneapolis-St. Paul area, colleges, other things, and uh, really enjoyed it. That's really where I cut my teeth on playing with the band. There's a wonderful drummer named Paul Olson. Now, Paul actually went to the college where Josh's dad went to seminary. Now, many years later, of course, I didn't realize all those tie-ins until a little bit later but that's where Paul went. So Paul was about a year older than me. So we found ourselves kind of down in that corridor. We all had friends that decided to go to college there for a couple of years. So it worked out pretty well. Let me fast forward a little bit. I moved down to Nashville, realized <laughs> there were some holes in my musical knowledge. I grew up playing rock. I grew up playing lots of other things, but just not like a lot of jazz or anything. I did have a wonderful person named Pat Ferrand. Who was a luthier and he was also a minneapolis area jazz guitarist who my friend john i think we've mentioned john on this podcast before he's my friend from kindergarten john played in bands and everything for a long time his family was musical he was musical and pat was their family friend and also worked on their instruments and i got struck up a friendship with pat we had a lot of talks about life a lot of talks about philosophy about life and a lot about jazz theory which started me down the road of understanding my instrument better now, what that allowed me to do, actually, was when I came down to Nashville and went to Belmont University to study some music and do some things, I actually tested into the higher theory classes because I understood what it meant, and what it applied to be. To this day, I still don't know all the classical, like, Andante and Allegro. Like, I know those terms, but I'd have to say, like, well, so what tempo is that? And you have to say at 60 beats a minute or 80 beats a minute. I would understand that. But even how in classical theory people described it to me, I didn't know. I just knew, like, well, isn't it played like this? So that's how I kind of came into the Belmont frame. Now, I never finished there, but went on to play. And, you know, when you move to Nashville and you're a musician, everybody's like, man, I'm a musician. I'm going to go play the things. I did end up playing the things, ultimately. But you come very quickly to the reality, like, man, everybody's really good from everywhere, and they're all coming here, and they're doing the things. I've been very blessed over the course of my life. To play with some of the world's best musicians, some of the world's best songwriters. Had a great time doing it, worked a lot, worked hard at it, worked and built my ears up. Meaning when I say build my ears up, when you're a musician, there's people who can read music and there's people who can improvise. It's like following a recipe and executing that recipe excellently, like reading or uh, playing by ear, as you probably have heard the term before. And you're able to get into a song knowing kind of what you can drop in and kind of pick it up. That's understanding not only structure, but harmonically where you are. There's a lot of things that go into ear training. Uh, but, you know, those early parts of understanding jazz theory helped me hear those things that were a little bit interesting. Jazz in music is kind of like you have to eat your vegetables sometimes. That's how Sting, I think, actually kind of described it. Like when he did jazz studies, it's like, take you know, eating your vegetables. You have to do it because you got to know it. And uh, I kind of approached it the same way. I'm like, oh, I, could, I can eat my vegetables. I can do that. Now, I told you at the beginning of this whole thing, like I kind of hesitated to call it a hobby. And it's because really uh, it, it was part of you know what I did for a living. It's still things I fit in now and again. It's not my primary thrust in life anymore to be able to say, hey, I want to just do music full time, all time, all day, every day, nonstop. But it is an integral part of me. And I've been very fortunate that I've played at the uh, professional level, played to stadiums, played to uh, small groups, large groups. I've enjoyed it all. I've learned something different. I've learned to show up, be on time while well, I was already on time. That's a whole other topic for another podcast. But I really took interest in it, not only about how to play, but how to um, you know, listen to other players, see what they did, learn from other musicians, play, put myself in situations where I was the weakest musician in the bunch. And you come up, you kind of like you got to, otherwise it's all going to fall apart. And you learn that way. One of the beautiful things about being a musician is that there are many other musicians and they know at one point, if anybody's a pro, they started out not a pro. And there were gracious people along the way that gave them opportunities to sit and to listen and to play and to ask questions. Music is kind of a built-in mentorship model, sometimes by peer, sometimes by your same instrument, but it's a collaborative exercise. It's something that I enjoy tremendously, especially playing bass, and there are some wonderful bass solo pieces out there, but my preference is to play with an ensemble, to play with people and to play those fundamental notes stated in such a way that makes the song move forward. I take great joy in that. And sometimes it's like, well, didn't you play that same kind of line last song? It's like, well, bass players can be very repetitive sometimes, part of the gig, if you say, well, it's just the same line. But the way that you're interpreting that against what other musicians are doing provides that foundation where it's a kind of a safe spot for the music. I always enjoy doing that for people in musical senses, and being that person behind the person. I'm very comfortable being not the person that's the shiny person waving their hands. I love a good front man, front woman, front person who can do all that stuff. I really enjoy playing low notes and holding down the fort. You know, when I talk about music also, too, and I think about all the mentors, I just want to name some uh, out loud right now. There was a pianist in my church I grew up in named Janet Gasler, She was actually the pastor's mom, and she had perfect pitch. And she played; she could play anything. She could read anything. She could improvise anything. Years later, as an adult, when I went and heard her play again, I realized that the voices, when I say voices, like how you structure your chords and how she played melodies, influenced me, and I never knew it at the time. But she poured into my life, whether she knew it or not. She never gave me a lesson. I never asked her for that. But her musical voice influenced me. When we start talking about Pat Farrand, he influenced me. By the time he spent with me to help me think about my instrument differently. When I moved to Nashville, there is a bevy of bass players who were gracious men. They all happened to be men. At Nashville, when I first moved here, there was Otto Price, who at the time was playing with a band called DC Talk, and has gone on to produce many other things. And uh, wonderful, wonderful player. And he spent the time to talk with me. And invite me into sessions that he was producing so I could listen to the bands and meet the other musicians. Thank you, Otto, for that. I want to also, at that era of my life, also talk about um, the two mics. There's Mike Brignardello, who is a, a well-known Nashville session cat, and Mike Chapman, who was the late Mike Chapman, who played on all the Garth Brooks records and was also in studios around town. Those two men allowed a young player just to sit with headphones in demo sessions they got permission from the studio from the from the session leader for them to be able to bring me along and I was polite and on time and, and grateful but I got to play their instruments I got to look at their signal chain I got to do all those things thank you Mike and Mike for that opportunity for a young player I want to now thank Carol Kay if you don't know who Carol Kay is she is uh, you know the grandmother grandmaster flash <laughs> <laughs> of the instrument she started playing professionally in 1949 jazz guitar and the story goes i believe in 1967 when an electric bass player did not show up on a gig she picked it up and started to change the direction of that particular instrument and she plays wonderfully she has been on over 10,000 recordings and she took gave me lessons my my teacher at belmont university will also call it roy vote Said when you go to California, I spent a small stint, which is another podcast for another day. Said make sure you take lessons from Carol. This is before really internet was terribly big, and there was two lessons with her that completely changed my life musically. They were so important in my musical development. Thank you, Carol, for that. Coming back to Nashville, many other players as well coming into my sphere, and just so I listened to, you know. And so when talk about the hobby of music, it's a lifestyle for me. And what I've actually revisited finally at the end of this, saying, Brian, you've talked about your musical development. Is that a hobby? Well, you know, one of the hobbies that I am engaging in right now is actually the joy of listening to music, not trying to learn it for a gig, not trying to dissect it and say, okay, this is the things I'm going to do or having to learn it. It's just enjoying listening to music. I remember when I was young, I loved listening to music. And there was nothing else. There was no other distraction. There was no other thing that was going on in terms of, hey, now I need to chart this song. Or, hey, this is going to be this gig at this time for this. I just listen to music. And I think some of that, too, especially when I think about my friends. So, say, what do you want to do? Well, let's listen to some music. And we would just listen to the CD player and listen. <laughs> now when I go back and I listen to some of those songs that, for me, is nostalgia, some of them. But some of those things you have to understand I never actually learned on bass. So now if I go back, oh, that's what they did. Oh, that's why I think about it this way. I'm unpacking all the different influences that came at me that I wouldn't have necessarily had structured feedback from from any of my parents, but I caught a lot of this. And it's afforded me the opportunity to not only uh, enjoy music, but have it be an integral part of my life. And in this phase, I'm taking the time to go back and listen and listen. Not having to do anything else, but just enjoy the music and be in the moment and appreciate the art that people create. So that's my answer to Josh. He talked a little bit more about some things, but this is really part of who I am. At some point, I will do a solo episode talking about how I composed the theme song for Curiosity Continuum. There's a lot of thought that went behind it that you may not catch unless I tell you. And part of the wonderful thing about music is that it tells a story without a story. And then when you learn the story, it's even richer. So until next time, this is Brian. Please enjoy this solo episode and this outro track, (laughs) which we'll be playing right now, Josh. And you can blend my voice over this. This is Brian for Curiosity Continuum. Thanks, folks.